Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Greetings in Jesus' name. We're thankful that you are joining us for this study. We are continuing to look at how the story continues from Passover or Passion Week to Pentecost proper. Everyone likes a story and most like hearing the story behind the story. Inside of my own family, we have this walking stick. This walking stick was carved by my great-great-grandfather on my mother's side, and I am the fifth generation to own this stick, which I assume I will be passing on to my own descendants. But everyone likes the story. It came from Germany. This is called a, a diamond willow. This is a fungus that grows on a tree. It's then carved out, and the uniqueness of the diamond willow is that it has a, a red heart and then a, a more white flesh. This one has been varnished, but it's five generations, and I'm the fifth generation to own it. But that's the story behind the story, and there is a, a compelling narrative. Well, the passage we're looking at this morning in Acts chapter 2 celebrates the returning of the Shekinah glory to the temple in the keeping of a promise to the disciples of Jesus. And part of our understanding the strength of this story is to hear the story behind the story. And today's study will speak to, as it were, the family tree for Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 16, the apostle Peter says, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. So Peter is telling us that this event, what is happening in Acts chapter 2, is a fulfillment of the prophecy previously given in Joel chapter 2. And that's where we are today. What I'd like to do is, is simply read the text and see how all of this begins to tie together. Because 50 days earlier, we have Passover, we have the resurrection. 40 days after that event, you have the ascension where Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of the Father, enthroned. He ascended to the throne. And then 10 days after that, you have Pentecost, which is 50 days after Passover. And that's really what we're considering as to what is happening in our passage because what he said would happen has the death, burial, resurrection. And what has not yet happened will, which is the giving of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost as a whole is 50 days after Passover. It is a series of seven. Seven times seven plus one, equaling this idea of the Feast of Jubilee. Uh, this festival, the feast day, is called Shavat in Hebrew or weeks because it is a week of weeks, seven weeks. After Passover, it was a harvest festival signifying the end of the grain harvest. It's one of three pilgrim feasts that have been unleavened bread, the weeks, Pentecost, and then the Feast of Booths. The resurrection and ascension of Jesus with Pentecost are the beginning of his reign over sin and death and the recreating of the heavens and the earth. His resurrection, his ascension, and Pentecost inaugurate fulfillment. He gives us what we need to do what he desires. You and I are not living in the shadow of the truth. We are in the very substance of the truth. And the book of Acts shows us what this looks like in real time. The gospel is ever expanding to the world through a flawed but faithful church. The story in which we exist displays the glory of God to do what only he can do 
through, as it were, an island of misfit toys. What we will see in our study today is that Pentecost is the culmination of the good news. It is the culmination of this good news. We will also see the declaration of the good news. It's all about Christ crucified. And then the authorization of this good news is for us to be witnesses to tell others that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is alive. And then we'll see this demonstration of the good news in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 47. But let's read the text and then we'll pray. I'm beginning to read in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Now jumping down to verse 11, But both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. We will consider what all this means for us today as we continue the story. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity that it's ours to consider this passage. And Father, in our study, may we see Jesus. May we see how we, in our own, as it were, little stories, are a part of a much larger story. So guide us in our thinking. Spirit of God, use these moments for your glory. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. But let us begin with the idea of this culmination of the good news. In Acts chapter 2, verse 16, Peter says, This is that. What happens in the day of Pentecost is this reversal and fulfillment of previous shadow, of promises, of prophecies. Many would tie the day of Pentecost to the giving of the law on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. There is perhaps some historical validity to this idea, but it's not necessarily biblical. But if we were to compare and contrast these two ideas, we see that at Mount Sinai, you have the giving of the old covenant. And at Pentecost, you have this celebration of the new covenant. And the old covenant is written on stone, whereas the new covenant is written on the heart. At Mount Sinai, you have 3,000 people dying. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people find eternal life through faith. You have this reversal taking place. You have a culmination of the good news that God began in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. You have this confusion, for example, at the Tower of Babel, and its reversal on the day of Pentecost where people from all nations were hearing the gospel in their own language. Under the old covenant, the Shekinah glory left the temple. In the new covenant, what we see here in Acts chapter 2, the Shekinah glory returns to the temple. On Mount Sinai, a nation is formed. On the day of Pentecost, a body is born. So what we see in the day of Pentecost is this culmination of the good news storyline. You have, as it were, the beginning of the end. When Peter and Cornelius had their encounter in Caesarea Philippi, Peter returned to Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 11, verse 15, Peter said, And as I began to speak, 
the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And thus on the day of Pentecost, you have this culmination of the storyline that begins in Genesis 3. This is that. And what God said he would do, he has done. And the story that you and I are a part of in the person and work of Jesus Christ is reaching all the way back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. This is that. Acts chapter 2, verse 16. So we begin noting how on the day of Pentecost, in these moments, in these events, you have a culmination of this good news, of this storyline, of the gospel. And the second thing we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, as well as in Luke 24, 47, and 48, is the declaration of this good news. In Acts 2, 36, the Bible says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know, this is Peter speaking, for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Luke chapter 24, verse 47, Jesus says to his disciples that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Verses 44 through 46 of Luke 24 gives us the message we are to bring to the nations beginning in our own backyard. And what is that message? The message is Jesus. The message is you cannot save yourself. Only God can, and Jesus did. This is what Jesus came to do, and Jesus did it. Right now, there is a lot of talk of being in the thing together. Well, it's not actually true. There's really only one thing that you and I have in common with all of humanity, and that is our sin against God and the need for a Savior. Everyone out there needs Jesus, and it begins with this bad news that you can't. But only God can, and Jesus did. The Bible is emphatic. There is only one way to the Father, and it is through the Son. We are declaring this good news, Christ crucified. And in our interaction with the unbelieving, we can be kind without compromise. We can act without acidity. We can speak without spite. But we cannot say right is wrong or wrong is right. We cannot change the leopard spots. We cannot make the crooked straight. We cannot know the deceitful heart. And we cannot offer a Christianity without Christ. We declare Christ crucified. And that is exactly what is happening on the day of Pentecost. Not only is it a culmination of the good news, not only is it a declaration of the good news, but it is also an authorization for the good news. Folks, if our world has any hope, it is found in the Christian proclamation that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. The book of Acts shows us how this proclamation goes global. And that is what we see in our next point. It is the authorization for the good news. Listen to how Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 8 read. Verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. And then verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We are authorized to take what we have received and to push it and proclaim it outward. Consider the following verses as they are found throughout the Word of God. 
And there are a lot of verses, but I think it's necessary sometimes to hear this, this bulk of statements concerning all the nations. In Psalm 86, verses 8 through 10, it says, O Lord, there is none like you among the gods, nor any works like you. All the nations you have made will come and bow before you. Revelation 15, 4, Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. Psalm 22, verse 27, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. Psalm 65, verse 2, O you who listen to prayer, all men will come to you. Psalm 66, verse 4, All the earth bows down to you. Psalm 72, verse 11, May all the kings bow down to him, and all nations serve him. Isaiah 66, verse 23, For one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come to worship before me, says Yahweh. Daniel 7, 27, Then the sovereignty, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms under all of heavens will be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will serve and obey him. Micah 4, 1, in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. And then finally, Zephaniah 3, 9, for then I will restore pure lips to the peoples, that all may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. In verse 48 of Luke 24, it tells us that we are witnesses. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says we are witnesses We've already noted in previous studies how that word witness that occurs in Luke 24, 48 is also found throughout the New Testament. But all the other occurrences are only found one or two times in one or two letters. Whereas the book of Revelation does have its occurring five times. But in Acts, it occurs 13 times because what we see in Acts is the expansion of the church witnessing Christ is alive, Christ crucified. Your role isn't to prove, as a witness, your role isn't to prove whether or not the gospel is true. Your role is to preach the gospel as true. That is what we're doing. The mission of God has always been focused and intentional. It has always been about a global land, an innumerable people, and an overflowing joy. And you and I must awaken ourselves to this and keep it ever before us. One more thing. God isn't looking for exceptional people or completely surrendered people or type A people or people who have figured out their life's purpose. God simply wants you to recognize that you can't, but he can, and Jesus did. God wants those who follow him to live in story each and every day surrounded by the responsibilities of the moment. Your witnessing opportunities are not outside your circumstances. Your witnessing opportunities are your circumstances. You need nothing more than what you are and have. By believing and following Jesus each and every day, right where you are, you are visually and verbally declaring that Jesus is alive and he is Lord. You are saying by continued faithfulness in your responsibilities, Jesus is enough in this life and in the life which is to come. By receiving the Holy Spirit, you and I are clothed with the very righteousness of Jesus. Jesus isn't enabling us. 
Jesus is the very life pulsating within and working through us to those around us. Our lives are completely hidden in Christ. He is our life. And there is no life apart from Him. He is the life. You and I are witnesses. We are witnesses of the gospel's power when we trust God in the midst of our heartache and loss for the sake of His name. We are witnesses of the gospel's power when we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through Him. We are witnesses of the gospel's power when we faithfully carry out our various responsibilities throughout our days for the sake of His name. We are witnesses of the gospel's power when we hold fast to the biblical storyline in the face of our moral and cultural decay and political corruption for the sake of His name. We are witnesses of the gospel's power when we faithfully give to the ministry of the Lord for the advancement of His mission and the fulfillment of His vision. We are witnesses of the gospel's power when we order our days according to His word for the sake of His name. We see on the day of Pentecost the culmination of the good news. This is the story that began in Genesis 1. It is a declaration of this good news. It is Christ crucified. Jesus is Lord. He is alive. We have authorization for this good news. We are witnesses, and thus we live faithfully in the context of our immediate responsibilities. And then finally, on this day, we remember the demonstration of the good news. I'd like to read Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 47. Please follow along as I read. In Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 37. Now when they heard this after Peter preached, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, together with breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having fervor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here we see a demonstration of this good news. The Spirit of God given to them was now working in them and through them to those around them. The church, as it were, went bonkers. Now, let us not, however, paint a romantic picture of what this early church looked like. Think of Acts 5. Think the book of James. Think Galatians. Think First and Second Corinthians. Yet this church and every church is a demonstration of the gospel's power, of the gospel's good news. The Jesus seed is always producing this gospel fruit. The mission of God is ever expanding until the vision of God is fully realized. Luke simply follows the storyline from Luke 24 to Acts 1 of the Bible. What we now read of and are currently experiencing is the fulfillment of God's promises to do exactly what he intended to do. 
Every time we go about doing good to all people, we are demonstrating the gospel. Every time we gather to worship and scatter for mission, we are demonstrating the gospel. In our parenting, in our marriages, in our employment, in our sickness and in our health, in our church attendance on Sunday mornings, in our quiet moments, in public displays, we are visually and verbally declaring that Jesus is enough in this life and in the life which is to come. This is our witness. This is the demonstration of the good news. See, everything about us is sourced in and defined by the gospel. And today, more than ever, we are being pulled in two opposite directions. Friends, let us not get caught up in blindly responding to and blending together our political opinions with our Christianity. You and I are citizens of two countries. We respect and honor our governing authorities and those who are charged with caring for our social well-being. But we bow our knees to only one king, and we confess our ultimate allegiance to only one Lord. Trying to merge the two kingdoms into one is strongly problematic, and when we do this, one of them has been compromised. Don't be swept up with the political power grab, the biblical mutating of eschatological aspirations, or the anxiety over social isolating. Be marked as sensible, not unreasonable, stable, not volatile. Stay your course. Let your Christianity define you. Stay grounded in the gospel. Let the gospel define your mission and your message. This is what we're doing as a fellowship. Remember the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. This is that. It's reaching all the way back. That's your story. That's the story behind the story. So what do we do with what we know? Well, first, what story are we living in? What story are we living in? Is it the COVID-19 story? Is it the political polarization story? Or is it Christ crucified? Realize today that you and I are living in a story. Which one is it? Secondly, what message are you preaching? And what message are they hearing? See, God is right now working in us and through us the very things he desires for us. Realize that your life is a witness to the power of the good news. And then finally, as you are doing good in your current responsibilities, the gospel is being proclaimed. Do you believe this? Do you believe you have all you need? Or are you always wanting more? Our lack of rest and contentment and bloodlust for more says something different than Jesus is enough in this life and the life which is to come. Friends, Learn to rest in his finished work. Learn the story. In every story, there is another one behind it. And as we think of the day of Pentecost, let us understand how all of this ties together. And your story is a part of that story. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have had to consider the text of Scripture. Father, we pray that we would see the gospel and that, Father, we would live in light of that gospel and that gospel would define our ministry and our message. So thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you for the life we have, which is Christ. Thank you for the Spirit of God that works both in us and through us to those around us. May we live in light of that story. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.